Hey, I'm JR from the 18 Over Par with Mike and JR podcast, exploring the sights, stories, and sounds of golf on the prairies, where you'll find some of the most golf courses per capita of anywhere in the world, and beer. Lots of beer. 18 Over Par is proudly presented by Jamie Wilkie and the new Winnipeg Dodge Chrysler Jeep Ram Fiat. Pulling up to the clubhouse in a ride that looks half as good as your golf attire just isn't cutting it. It's time to improve your ride and your drive. You can purchase a new or used vehicle from Jamie Wilkie at the new Winnipeg Dodge in the Point West Auto Park and the former Manitoba Amateur Champ will take you for a round at Breezy Bend. So now pulling up to the clubhouse won't be so damn embarrassing and neither will your golf game. You can book your test drive today at winnipegdodge.com. Just ask for Jamie Wilkie. You can also check him out on episode two of the 18 Over Par podcast. He'll certainly be happy to see you. You can also find them on social media, so make sure you improve your ride and your drive, and the only place to do that, the new Winnipeg Dodge. They're different. You can check them out, winnipegdodge.com. It's the 18 Over Par Podcast with Mike and JR. You suck, you duckass. Welcome to 18 Over Par with Mike and JR, proudly driven by Jamie Wilkie and the new Winnipeg Dodge in the Point West Auto Park. I'm JR, he's Mike. And today, we're joined by Braden Gilbert, course superintendent at St. Charles Country Club. He's also the Manitoba director of the Canadian Golf Superintendents Association. All right, so we've talked to touring professionals, PGA of Canada professionals, some U of M Bison players, and the list goes on. But we have yet to get a superintendent on. So really excited to bring in uh, Braden Gilbert. He is the superintendent at St. Charles Country Club. You may have heard of that. And we really appreciate you taking the time. And we want to say a huge thanks to Jamie Wilkie and all the folks at the new Winnipeg Dodge in the Point West Auto Park. You can check them out at winnipegdodge.com as well, Braden. You and the team, or you can just keep it for yourself. You'll get yourself an 8-inch custom DQ cake from the Nick and Nicky group of DQs. You can find them at DQ Northgate, DQ Polo Park and the Food Court, DQ Niverville, and DQ St. Anne's Road. Follow them at DQ Manitoba on Instagram. So before we kind of jumped on here, uh, we did ask, so you actually do golf because there are some superintendents or greenskeepers, whatever you want to... Whatever the label is, maybe you can clarify. What is the difference? Is there a difference between a greenskeeper and superintendent? Is there a difference? You know, I've always felt that there isn't really. Um, you know, superintendent is probably the, it's the, the newer term, you know, t- typically in the old days or even uh, if you go across uh, across the ocean to the UK, they're still called greenskeepers, um, head mm. greenskeepers if they're the head guy um, or gal. And um, But superintendent's totally fine, although Good. I'm not offended by either. Okay. Good to know. I, <laughs> one of my questions was, is Greenkeeper uh, still a politically correct uh, title? And, and it, apparently it is. So that's good. Yeah. Some, I don't know. I think you, you might get hit or miss with that, but personally it doesn't, it doesn't bother me. Okay. Well, good to know. Whew. Good. And uh, you actually do golf. So when did you get started with golf? Was it as a junior? Yeah, I played a little bit of golf growing up, like not a, not a lot, like probably 
five to seven times a year, kind of at some uh, municipal horses. Um, I grew up in Calgary, so I would play there with some buddies, um, just on and off until I started working at a, at a, at a golf course when I was 15. And then I started playing more often. Did you work on the greens crew there or were you in the pro shop? I was on the greens crew there. Um, so I've been doing this since I was, since I was 15, at least in the summers anyways. And then obviously moved to full time when I got older. Yeah. <laughs> so what uh, made you move to Winnipeg? Uh, I was at the Calgary golf and country club, um, which is where I got my first job, my first summer job working on a course maintenance team. And, um, the gentleman who was the assistant superintendent there at the time, Kerry Watkins got the head superintendent's job at St. Charles and, um, brought me along with him. And then, um, about six years after that, he went back to Calgary and uh, I stayed here and took over for him when he left. Nice. Yeah. Nothing wrong with that. So what is a day in your life? Like, like what time do you usually get up? Uh, are you the first one there? Last one to leave sort of thing? Um, I usually get up around in the summer, quarter after four. Ooh. Um, wow. I'm, I've got some staff that are even keener than I am and better at mornings than I am. So I'm actually not usually the first person there. I, I get there at about probably four forty-five ish or so. And most days, sometimes earlier, sometimes a few minutes later, but, uh, there's some people that are there right at four 30, uh, getting everything ready. Um, I'm typically the last one there. I usually leave anywhere between three and three and four in the summer and a little bit, a little bit later, um, in the shoulder seasons, although I don't get there quite as early at this time of year when it's, when it's darker out in the mornings. Do you hire then all the, all the, the, the staff there then? Is that, uh, whoever's working on, I guess, what, what could you call it? The greens crew course maintenance staff? Are you the one that, yeah. uh, that hires, uh, all, all of that staff? Uh, either I do, or I hire some, um, but I've got two assistant superintendents too that hire a lot and they, they, um, play a major role in sort of directing the, the staff on a day-to-day basis and kind of guide them through their tasks on a day-to-day basis. And I've got some input on that obviously, but, uh, they're the ones in my operation anyways, that really kind of run that day-to-day stuff. How many people are on your team right now? Right now, uh, there's 17 of us. Uh, peak in the summer, we've got uh, we had 32. This oh gosh, <laughs> that's amazing. And it, are there like specific uh, departments within that, or or do you try and cross train everyone? So that, you know, there's uh, bunker guys, greens guys, or how do you, how do you manage that? You do have the odd sort of sort of um, individualized departments per se, but we do find that cross training people as much as we can sort of keeps their interest in the job up a little bit more. I mean, it's, it's pretty tough to get a bunch of university students to get up at four 30 in the morning to go to work. So anything you can do that makes it a little bit, a little bit more fun for them, um, as in, you know, mixing up the variety of their day. Uh, we, we try to do that as much as we can. Right. Yeah. But there's definitely some people like, uh, you know, I've got a, uh, some retired guys that, that do all of our mowing, like rough fairway, stuff like that. So those guys really like, that's all they do. They're retired and they don't really do any manual labor. They just mow. And if they're done in six hours, they're done six hours and they go home. And if they're done in eight, they're done in eight kind of thing. Um, and we've got some other people, like we've got a mechanic, um, who's pretty specialized. We've got a, uh, horticulturist who does all of our flower plantings and perennials Ooh. and shrubs and everything like that. Um, you know, mm. she's fairly specialized, although she helps out on the golf course too. Yeah. 
I'm sure a mechanic would be uh, pretty important to have with all the uh, different equipment that you're running. Yeah, definitely. It's a huge, it's a huge position and it's, uh, it's majorly important. I mean, we've got, we've got a big fleet cause we've got a big golf course with 27 holes, but, uh, regardless of how big your operation is, you know, to have your pieces of equipment running well and your mowers cutting well. And, you know, when you're talking about greens in particular, you're talking about setting up mowers, um, with a tolerance of a few thousandths of an inch. So it's pretty, pretty high precision stuff. So the, they've got to be kept up pretty well. Yeah. How many, I guess, how many mowers or, I, you know, I, I don't even know what type of equipment <laughs> is involved in course maintenance. Like I, I obviously there's a lawnmower and then I know there's like the green rollers and I see, you see the guy rolling back and forth across the green and that just looks fun to be on. But what yeah. are some specific types of equipment that you're using in your day to day and what do they do? Uh, we've got like most places, specific mowers for greens. We, we, walk more greens which some place some other places do some don't um depending on the sort of labor and budget level that's available to them so we have anywhere from seven to ten walk behind green mowers that go out every day and we've mm-hmm. got some ride on um smaller ride on units that do like tees and approaches and collars right. right around the greens and stuff right. um then a couple of larger fairway units then a couple of even larger rough units as well and then utility vehicles and everything like that to get the other staff around the golf course i imagine the walk behind mowers are going to be a lot different than than the ones that i'm mowing or not mowing my lawn with (laughs) yeah a little bit yeah just a little bit just a little bit and then is there anything like that is pretty specific to your arsenal that some of the other courses might not have or it's just maybe uh the quantity of of equipment you have might maybe not match some of the other courses yeah you know what i would a lot of us have the same stuff so i would say you're probably it's probably more quantity um in our operation than anything just because of how, how many staff we have and and having the extra nine holes you know there are other 27 hole clubs but uh not that many so the extra nine holes makes a difference too but you know most most guys have most of the same stuff Absolutely. And then, uh, well, I get into, I guess, you know, this, this past year, certainly, uh, the province saw, um, you know, record low precipitation. We went through, uh, what I guess people were calling a drought. So, and JR, <laughs> I guess people are calling it, I, I guess that's what it is, but, uh, very technical. Thanks, Mike. <laughs> yeah. I looked, I had to look that one up, not a draft, a drought, but, uh, JR and I visited the uh, the club in uh, mid August there in the, in the thick of the droughts in the in the, the dry August heat and uh, it was so lush you know it was beautiful obviously so you you guys must have uh, some pretty good irrig- irrigation irrig- that's a tough word irrigation <laughs> systems I imagine Draft. that uh, falls underneath your umbrella of management. Yeah, for you know, we 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 have some uh, some pretty good tools available to us these days um, to keep to keep grass alive in uh, in pretty tough conditions. And you know, I've been in Winnipeg now for 15 years, and it, it's a dry place. Like it is, you know, if you look compared to say Southwest Ontario or Quebec or some other, like you know, just like the rest of the prairies, it is a statistically dry place. But um, so dry stretches particularly in the summer are not uncommon but between the dryness this year and the heat um that was a that was a tough stretch 
Um, and you know, guys were, they were battling pretty hard. Um, you know, a lot of guys worried about running out of water, whether it was river levels or wells, whatever you happen to be drawn off of. It was, uh, you know, at our place in particular, like I've never seen the Assiniboine river go that low. And, uh, mm-hmm. and it was, you know, fortunately came back up with some rain at the end of, uh, end of August, but it was, it was getting a little bit, a little bit scary when you go down to the uh, pump station in the morning and see where the river right. was getting to. Are you, are you pulling most of your water from the river then? We do. Yeah. 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 And are you limited by the city or anyone, uh, you know, in those low, uh, those low times, are they limiting how much you can pull out of there or it didn't get to that, uh, state? It, it did get to that for some people, I believe. Um, we did not get to that state. Um, I, I could imagine we were probably close, um, mm-hmm. but we were like, we run permits for that through Manitoba water stewardship and conservation. So they didn't sure. come, they didn't come knocking, but, uh, they, they probably weren't too far away if we didn't get that rain. That rain at the end of August was, uh, was a pretty big deal. Are you testing your water for alkalinity? <laughs> I know, uh, our friends over at the, uh, Cinnamon golf course have some struggles with, uh, alkaline waters. So it was interesting to hear about that and you, you would never even guess, but uh, is that something you're battling or it's, it's a good uh, pH level coming from the Assiniboine river? You know what? It's, um, it's not bad, but I guess the way to look at it is, um, if you're using that same water, even if it's of okay, but not poor quality, if you're using that same water every day for two or three months in a row, even an average quality water starts to cause some, some alkalinity problems or some salt buildup problems. So, you know, you can see, um, you know, even if you look at your home lawn, if you have an irrigation system or if you happen to water it, and that's with city water, which is much, uh, more neutral and clean than, uh, than river water is, um, nothing equals that rainfall. Like that rainfall just comes down and cleans up all those salts and bicarbonates out of the soil and just sort of releases some nutrients. And you can just tell, um, Mm -hmm. I mean, we're, we're mowing, we're creating clippings mowing right now. Like we haven't in four months. I mean, the guys are out mowing rough and they're just bailing, which we haven't seen. Mm, Wow. Yeah. It's been a while. So is this something that you like, could go to school for or did you just learn it on the job when you were in calgary no i went to school to do this i was uh i worked a couple summers at the calgary country club um and then i took a year off after high school and my parents were kind of pressuring me to you know find some sort of direction with my life (laughs) do something with your life (laughs) yeah basically do figure something out um so i went to uh to old college which is about 45 minutes north of calgary and they have an agricultural school there um and they also have a golf turf uh management program so i i got a applied degree in golf turf management from there Nice. That's awesome. Can you do that just online as I ra- now and they just send you turf samples? That would be pretty sweet. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's, it's a little bit more online than it used to be. Mm-hmm. It used to be like kind of a pretty traditional September to April kind of program. But now <clears throat> their program in particular, you work on the golf course sort of in a co-op and then you do online stuff and then you're only in the classroom for four months now. So they've rejigged their program a little bit. Um, there used to be a program in Manitoba at Red River College and there is not anymore. Oh, okay. I was, I was just going to ask that to see if there's something similar that uh, you can do here, but I guess basically then you're just pulling say university students or whoever you can just as I guess, general laborers. Yeah. Yeah. For the most part, that would be the case. I mean, of my, of my senior team, 
um, one of my assistants went to Red River before they closed the program and has the green space management diploma from there. And another one of my assistants has um, been at the club for 15 years. He has a, a degree from U of W and who geography or something like that. But he's just kind of taught himself and everything. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, taken seminars and gone to some conferences and learned his turf that way. So there's a lot of different ways to do it. And at the beginning yeah. of the year, how do you go about setting up the course? Do you have discussions with other people on the board, with the club professional? How does that kind of get started of, okay, what are we going to be working on this year? Or how are we going to keep this club looking as good as it is? Yeah, I would say like we definitely sort of set some goals every year between, uh, you know, myself and my, my manager, um, you know, and the board is definitely involved in seeing, you know, guiding us to see what they want to see and holding us accountable for making sure that it's good. Um, you know, we work on the golf course side, we work with, with an architect to come up with a long range plan for the the betterment of the club. And we're working on that right now. And we're actually starting uh, some pretty substantial renovation work next year. Um, and that's kind of been led, led and developed by, by him, um, you know, in conjunction with our, our board and committees and management team at the club. So then you're just following that kind of direction then from the architect or, or you kind Mm -hmm. of, or do you try and at least work hand in hand? So you're like, okay, well, you know, maybe we don't have this, but uh, Hey, maybe we can try this as a compromise. Yeah. Yeah. And he, like, we definitely uh, give him some feedback on what we want to do. You know, and and that's more sort of a like longer range big picture kind of stuff, you know, on, on smaller day-to-day kind of management stuff. We definitely, um, work with our, with our boards and committees and management team and, and sort of get things figured out there and, and get going in the direction we want. But from the, yeah, that bigger picture stuff, we work with our architect and we, we've given him sort of our laundry list of, okay, these are the things that we think we need fixed. And now you go out there and what do you think needs to be fixed too? And then we come up with a plan. And I know this, yeah, this might be, a, I might be mowing uh, Mike's lawn here, but who gets to pick the pin placements? <laughs> um, that would be, we have a few staff members, typically our longer tenured staff members um, would pick pin placements in the morning for, for most day-to-day play. If it's a, an event or uh, like one of our bigger tournaments for the year, then I would typically pick them or one of my assistants will. Um, but for the most part, it's just, just the uh, sort of seasoned staff members. Who's picking the pin placements uh, at the superintendent's revenge event that uh, <laughs> <laughs> that I was tipped off uh, that there is kind of like an Iron Man going on. And uh, I think they, the players hit from the, the tips and the pin placements are tough. Can you tell us a little bit of, about how you'd set the course up in that for that event? Uh, that one will definitely be me. I've got to get my revenge <laughs> for that event. Um yeah, you know what? It's kind of one of those things we do. It we do that event, and a lot of clubs do that uh, type of event like that. Um, we do it mm-hmm. at the end of September, um, when every all the other golf competitions are kind of done, and you know everyone can have some fun and you know play pretty badly on some pretty tough pins and not get too worked <laughs> up about it. So um, we would usually definitely tip out our back tees. Sometimes we even move our back tees into some areas where they're not even on tee boxes. They're just in some, some unique spots and try to find some, you know, semi playable pin positions, but that are kind of ridiculous too. Right. And that's a, a team event. Like, uh, is it a scramble, a two man scramble or, or. Yeah, I believe they do it too. Is the, 
it's either a two-man scramble or a two-man best ball. Yeah. doesn't matter to you. You're just going to set it up as hard as can be. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's and hide. awesome. Mow <laughs> <laughs> them down really short and then, and get the hell out of there. That's yeah. right. Well, related to that, um, were you around for the 2010 LPGA event? Uh, I imagine that the course would have been set up pretty hard for that. Yeah, I was here um, for that. Um, it, it it was for sure. Um, you know, the one thing that was interesting was they they had a pretty like the LPGA officials had a pretty stringent set of course setup rules that they would follow and that we had to to meet whether it was like green speeds, mowing heights, uh, rough heights, you know, when you mow rough, I mean, they kind of, kind of take the golf course over a little bit and tell you what to do. And then it's just your job to kind of execute on it. Um, you know, certainly I would say you get some, you get some input into what the setup looks like. Um, but they kind of really run with that. Um, it was, it was difficult and challenging, but fair. I mean, it probably could have been tougher, but I think it, it turned out to be a good test. I mean, you know, we had to follow their parameters pretty closely. And um, as a lot of older clubs do, we've got some pretty um, interestingly sloped greens that uh, at pretty high green speeds could get pretty unplayable if you put the pin in the wrong spot. So they were pretty, uh, pretty touchy about where the pin positions went, given the, given the green speeds we had that week. So, okay. Yeah, well, they, so they would even uh, Rodney there who took us out uh, at St. Charles. He was, I think he yeah. mentioned even a couple of those during that week that the LPGA was there. I think they ended up being a couple of like, the hardest greens, not, not as in firm, but the most challenging greens on tour that year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, they're uh, you know they're, they're they're very different. I mean, they played the Ross and McKenzie nines for that event, and they're they're a very different set of greens. I mean, the McKenzie nine greens are pretty wild, right? Like they're <laughs> yeah. very slopey and interesting. Um, and the Ross ones are a little more, a little more subtle. Um, and they definitely like the raw, the Ross greens can kind of catch you off guard a little bit with some of the movement. You think a putt's not going to move that much. And then it really grabs a couple inches and goes. So I think you saw the players mm-hmm. struggle with that a little bit that week. Um, and perhaps and I didn't, I don't know this, for, for sure, but perhaps because they are two different sets of greens, you know, built by two different architects. It's a little bit of a different experience across 18 holes. So that might, might have right. provided a challenge right. too. Yeah, certainly uh, very challenging for myself. However, I'm not <laughs> a too. professional golfer. But, uh, <laughs> we, we made it but, work. Uh, yeah. Well, and you, you had fun. And oh, you must like did. it. How do you, you know, growing out the rough like that, you know, I'm sure even leading up to that event, you know, do the members uh, get mad at that? I'm sure they're happy to host an event, but uh, I don't know. How long do you got to grow out the rough for those those types of events? Uh, You know, I would say I'm trying to remember. This was a little while ago now. Um, We it was very wet that year. Um, so the rough was pretty thick all year. It was kind of the opposite of this year. Um, the rough was very thick all year. We cut it on Saturday. They closed the golf course to member play the Saturday before tournament week. And then we, yeah, we cut the rough that day and then we let it grow a bit. And then we cut some of it again on Wednesday, but not all of it. Um, so by the time Sunday rolled around the last, the rough had seen the mower was Wednesday afternoonish. So it was pretty, mm. it was probably three, four inches long by that point in time. It was pretty long. 
Right. Yes, I remember there being lots of mosquitoes was the one thing right. I think uh, Derek Goodwin might have told us. Uh, and uh, then the LPGA never came back because they, uh, there's too many mosquitoes. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just kidding. I, I made that I still up. remember. I still remember some of the players walking around with towels wrapped around their heads or like swatting at mosquitoes. You know, Saturday, oh. we kind of got the perfect storm of, of a little bit of rain and the wind died out and it was dead still. And the mosquitoes just came out of, they just attacked. Ouch. <laughs> That's one of the challenges, right? Play it as it lies. Yeah. <laughs> lies. And, um, Welcome to Winnipeg. Enjoy the mosquitoes. Yeah, you have to get the full experience <laughs> exactly. if you're going to come, right? <laughs> yeah, that's so right. True. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I wanted to touch on, uh, I'm going to get a little bit granola here, but mm-hmm. uh, environmental stability or sustainability. Environmental mm-hmm. stability might be something else. But uh, <laughs> obvious, <laughs> obviously, you know, uh, you know, we're going into the year 2020 here and uh, people are concerned about the environment. You mean 2022? I don't know. What year are we in? That's well, always a, uh, I skipped the last one because I just. Wait, COVID, we just. It didn't happen. About it yet. didn't happen. <laughs> but obviously, uh, you know, there's some moral responsibility on your behalf and probably government regulation. So on, uh, you know, how you guys are maintaining the course and different chemicals you guys are using. So is that something that, you know, industry associations or talking about i'm sure you guys are trying to be more environmentally friendly um yeah no doubt everybody is um i would say a lot of a lot of superintendents are putting the onus on themselves to find more environmentally friendly ways to manage turf um and and there's no question that that um government is starting to pay more attention to what uh, not just golf but what everybody's doing with chemicals and fertilizers and some of the sort of ill effects that can happen um through mm-hmm. through misuse mm-hmm. um i would say that one of the the biggest limiting factors for for chemical use in golf is is uh, i kind of call it like economic integrated pest management because it's uh, the chemical products that we use are so expensive that you want to use them as little as possible because they cost a fortune um, right. you know, like you could, you can buy a, uh, one gallon jug of chemical that can cost $2,000. So wow. <laughs> you try to, you try to get away with as little as possible. Um, you know, it, a lot of things are changing in the industry and what you're seeing a lot of places do is, is look at, um, things like new irrigation systems that are set up to use less water or to use it more efficiently. It might sound, I often get some puzzled looks when I mention this, but you, you know, if you, if you upgrade an irrigation system, it's, it's often an opportunity to be far more accurate with the water you're using and, mm-hmm. um, and conserve some ways or conserve some use. Um, you're seeing a lot of clubs, uh, change out turf varieties and grass varieties, um, to reduce chemical use in season. A lot of the newer, uh, take greens, for example, a lot of the newer bent grass varieties that are used on greens require a lot less chemical and fertilizer use than, uh, older bent grasses or poanya greens that a lot of clubs have. Um, so you're seeing a lot of clubs make those investments too. Um, and same thing with, with better varieties on teas, fairways, everywhere else. Uh, you're seeing a lot of places, 
Um, you know, the one thing that's so publicized nowadays in, in professional golf in particular, with some of the courses they visit um, is tree removal. And you see, you know, even uh, if you watch the Solheim Cup at all this weekend and uh, you saw um, Inverness and you saw the before and after photos of the tree removal that had taken place at Inverness, um, you know, sunlight on turf is a very good thing. We all sort of took whatever seventh grade biology and photosynthesis kind of yeah. needs sunlight <laughs> to happen. Um, and trees, trees are pretty big bullies when it comes to steel and sunlight and water and nutrients from grass. And they win that fight, you know, every day of the week and twice on Sunday. So the, the more sunlight you can get on your turf, the less likely you are to have to use, uh, chemicals or, or synthetic fertilizers to grow out of, uh, out of turf damage or things like that. So you're seeing a lot of places, um, you know, look at, look at that kind of stuff. And I think you're getting less, you know, anecdotally in my mind, you're getting less in there pushback from, from golfers or members. Whereas in the past, you know, if you tried to cut down a tree, you got a real, you had a real battle on your hands. Um, and people are far more accepting now. And I think that televised golf has done a very, you know, maybe they've even overkilled it with some of the courses, but they've highlighted a lot of what some of these courses like Oakmont or places like that have done with, with pretty hefty tree removal. And the impact it's had on better turf. Yeah. Wow. Well, that's I'm, I'm not a tr- yeah. I'm not no. a tree hater. I like trees, but mm-hmm. you know, there's just some places where you have to make a make a decision about whether you want to you want to grow grass or grow trees. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I, I usually hate the trees myself, but uh, they look nice. <laughs> they do. Uh, but uh, so I, I don't mind them. But uh, usually find myself in them or right behind one. Um, but, and then from that, I guess like one of the things I read about was pesticides, but I was, I was like, what, you know, what are, what types of insects are, are attacking the golf course or is there. Uh, we, you do get some, I mean, there's a variety of sort of grub species that can, that can feed on turf. And we do have a few of them here in Manitoba. Um, we're reasonably fortunate that because our winters are so miserable, we don't have quite the insect press pressure that uh, say like Southern Ontario or the Northeastern United States has. So I wouldn't say that like insecticides are a huge issue. I mean, they are used uh, when they need to be, um, but they're not used as, as frequently as they are in those areas. Um, you know, the other two sort of categories of pesticides that would get used would be herbicides for weeds. Um, which we don't have a lot of options either. Um, we don't have a lot of products available to us and, mm-hmm. you know, most, most people would just spray for, for dandelions and things like that, which mostly pop up on the rough. Um, your largest pesticide use item is going to be fungicides just to prevent turf diseases. Oh yeah. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. So we've seen some, some bad, uh, Oh, I don't even know. There was, uh, I guess Gran- Granite Hills got some, some bad, uh, green fungicide last year i remember that and anyways i don't know anything about that but uh <laughs> there, there was something going on with the greens other they didn't winter was. well or whatever they had winter burn i'm not sure something yeah like it can that. be well you can get snow mold, snow molds over the winter you'll right. typically treat your surfaces for that and that can be pretty challenging to to get a get a hold of um and they can be they can be pretty devastating if they uh, if they manage to sneak through sneak through the fungicide applications that uh, that get made. Um, but I would say most most golf courses in our climate would treat greens at minimum and lots treat more than that. Um, fairways tees for 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 snow molds that would probably be the largest um, pesticide expenditure at most golf clubs. I would I would say. 
And at the end of the year, do you typically tarp the greens? Does every green green get tarped? Uh, we do. Yeah, we've got a couple a couple of different tarping methods depending on what type of grass is on the green, what its sort of history of winter injury is, um, where it's located, you know, what its exposure is like. So, we've got a couple different things that we. Uh, we do some of the, some of the more susceptible greens we cover with, we actually use flax straw and then a, uh, a waterproof cover on top of that to prevent any ice buildup or anything. Um, and sort of mimic snow cover. And then on some of the greens that have proven to be a little bit more resilient to, um, to winter injury, we'll just cover them with a, with a thin, um, breathable cover. Mm-hmm. Well, what would be like, how does winter injury happen? Because uh, I feel like it happens a lot on maybe the courses that I'm playing. Oh, it happens a lot everywhere. I think winter <laughs> yeah. injury uh, doesn't discriminate by price point or budget. There's no <laughs> oh. doubt about that. Well, that's good. <laughs> I've uh, I've felt my fair share, and so have many of my uh, so have many of my colleagues. <laughs> um, you know, there's a few different ways you can get it. Um, snow molds is one. Um, ice damage or ice injury or suffocation, which all kind of fall in one category as another. So basically imagine, uh, you know, snow forms and then melts and forms ice, uh, that in our climate typically would probably last throughout the winter. Um, that's one way, um, plant, uh, turf grass plants will continue to breathe, even though they're dormant over the winter, albeit at a much slower rate than they do in the summer. So what, what ends up happening is that they end up using up what little oxygen is around them when they're suffocated nice and they can't get any new oxygen and they either, um, they either die out from lack of oxygen or they produce too much carbon dioxide and end up um, suffocating themselves that way. Um, you can end up with just direct sort of low temperature injury. So if you have a, a putting green that's exposed with no snow and it mm. gets to 40 below, you got some, probably some problems on your hands. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the last method would be called, uh, it's called crown hydration. So it's basically the plant. This would typically happen more in sort of call it March, like late winter, early spring, where the plant would wake up and say, okay, I'm going to take up a little bit of water. And then you'd get a rapid freeze and Mm. the plant cells actually sort of explode. Like the water inside the plant cells basically freezes and blows them up and then they, then they die. Um, (laughs) so that would be, that would be scariest if you had like a really warm, like mid March that caused a lot of standing water. And then you had like an overnight of like minus 20. If that happened in March, then every superintendent in the province would be freaking out. Oh, geez. Well, that did, didn't we have a a warm March and then it didn't it snow after that? And and it did this year, but it it did, but it never got that cold. So this year it didn't cause too many problems. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, there's a big difference in spring between like a minus seven, celsius overnight and a minus 18 i mean you can get a minus 18 in late march no problem right right and then that i'll call it a phenomenon is that similar to like uh frost delays you know you don't want uh people walking on the grass when it's Mm -hmm. frosted or can you explain that yeah it's it's kind of similar to that actually because basically what will happen is the you know rather than the cells inside the plant freezing is they'll kind of get that freezing factor going on outside and then when you step on it it kind of breaks but it's it's kind of similar right right so you and that would be your call as a a superintendent to not not let people out on in uh when there's frost so 
those are the days that I'm most popular. <laughs> <laughs> but you have to, you know, you have to be reasonable as a, as a player, you know, on the golf course that you want the course to be in the best shape as possible. And so even yeah, if you have oh, to yeah. wait a little bit, eh, whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there, there have been a few times when I was out there early in the morning and I got thrown off the course. I should have known better, but. So, Mike, you alluded to earlier of, uh, you know, associations, and there actually is a Canadian Golf Superintendents Association, and Braden, you are a part of that. So is there like an annual general meeting for course superintendents across the country? Yeah, yeah, there is. Typically, um, we get together in anywhere from late January to early March, depending on the year and where we're going. And... um, we host a, a three-day conference for golf superintendents and other sort of turf industry professionals from across the country. And we've got um, speakers, trade show, all that kind of stuff, seminars and everything. And, um, you know, typically get a pretty good, pretty good turnout. Um, you know, like, like many industries, things are changing quickly and there's always new stuff to learn. So you always get people that are willing to uh, or want to keep up with uh, the latest and greatest knowledge, technology and gadgets and everything else. Yeah, well, what are is like some of the technology? Because we've seen the technology on the golf club side of thing, golf ball side of thing, like the golf technology. So how has it kind of evolved since you started out on the superintendent side? Uh, there's, yeah, there's been an awful lot of changes in the last little while. Um, you know, I would say that the the irrigation technology is changing very rapidly. Um, they're getting far more, far more advanced, um, far more accurate. Um, you know, now, geez, you're controlling new irrigation systems with like iPads and iPhones and stuff <laughs> like that instead of uh, instead of going to the uh, going to the satellites and turning them on manually or using a walkie talkie. Um, you know, the other big thing that's been a huge game changer has been uh, handheld or in ground moisture sensors. So now you can you can send staff members out with moisture sensors to get your watering right. Um, you know, it's been, it's been a huge help in training less skilled staff, I would say, in taking care of greens. I mean, in the past, before you had those, you know, you needed either yourself or your assistants, or maybe a couple people that you trusted to, you know, make sure that your greens made it through a 35 degree or 32 degree day. Um, and now you can kind of give, you know, still good staff members, but maybe someone who's a little bit less skilled, one of these moisture meters and tell them to take X amount of readings from a green. And okay. It basically gives you a, a percentage of the, the soil profile that that's uh, that consists of water. So you give them a, okay, water, anything that's over 18% today or under 18%, sorry. Um, and then they do. Um, so that's been huge. Um, and they've got both handheld ones and in-ground ones that, that, uh, that link right back to your computer and can tell you exactly what greens are doing. Um, you know, not everybody has those. I mean, I don't even have, I have the handheld ones. I don't have the in-ground ones. Um, you know, you're starting to see robotics and automated stuff make its, make its move. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of going in fits and starts a little bit and, you know, some places are jumping on board with it. Um, some places aren't, um, in Canada, it is, it is challenging to justify the cost with what is honestly in most places, a you know, it's a six, six and a half month golf season, but really like only five and a half months of active grass mowing, right. uh, you know, it makes much more financial sense down in, you know, the California or Florida where you're giving her, um, mm-hmm. 360 days a year. 
So there would be automated uh, or robotic mowers, basically. Is that? Yeah. Yeah. That'd be, uh, that's pretty cool. I've certainly seen the ones for, you know, the front lawn. Um, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I was out in uh, Fort Saskatchewan in Alberta, and they had one little robotic mower that mowed like uh, their putting green. But yeah. uh, I, I think it was, I think, it, I don't know how. It was, it was like just, a, it was just a very green. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> exactly what it was. And it was probably more of a gimmick, I think, than I don't know, if, you know, again, like you said, is the cost, uh, is it cost effective? I don't know. But maybe, those ones maybe. I, you're seeing a few people use those ones sort of on those like putting green clubhouse lawn kind of areas because they they aren't that expensive. I think they're like two thousand bucks or three thousand bucks. Okay. So they're not ridiculously priced. And, you know, if it uh, labors a a big challenge. So anything, anytime you can do something with a robot that you don't need a staff member to do. I mean, it is going to, I think it's going to grab, you know, it's just one of those things that a lot of clubs aren't ready to, to pull the trigger and the upfront price tag is a little bit scary for a lot of people too. So, but it'll come eventually. Yeah. Is there a, is there an equipment manufacturer that uh, is the Cadillac of uh, turf care in, and, in the and world? We invest in them. <laughs> yeah. Toro is a Toro. I, I know is a popular uh, brand. Yeah. Toro Toro makes great equipment. You know, there's a, most people would have Toro uh, John Deere Jacobson turf equipment with a few other pieces mixed in and um, they all make pretty good stuff. And, it really, uh, your sort of personal preference often depends on how good a good of service you get from from those that are supporting you too. Yeah, one thing I just thought of, and over this 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 last uh, few years here, and uh, Jr. and my in our in my and in, in my industry, we've experienced uh, supply chain interruptions, and with mm-hmm. the popularity of golf, I'm sure you've been, I'm sure the the uh, need of whatever you guys use uh, has gone up. So have you experienced some of these supply chain interruptions in any areas or you guys are unaffected by that? No, uh, we've seen the same things. I mean, we've seen equipment be uh, delayed, you know, by nobody's fault, but the supply chain, as you said, um, you know, I um, haven't had it happen to me yet, but uh, you know, you've heard some stories of irrigation materials like piping and stuff like that, especially anything that's in a, in a, that has an overlap business sort of, right? Like piping is used in all sorts of things, construction or whatever else and everything. Mm-hmm. So there can, there's a lot more competition for, for the supply. Um, so I've heard of issues there. Um, so yeah, we're definitely not immune to that. And I, I, you know, I'm not the one to speak about this, but I have heard the guys say that there's even uh, some delays on clubs and things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There are, there you're uh, back ordered. I know uh, a lady I work with just ordered uh, some clubs for, her, her child and uh they won't get them until mid-october so mm-hmm. perfect timing but, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what do you got jr well that's uh even on that note so talking about supply chain i mean it's the same thing right with where you're finding now and you know jamie wilkie and the, the new winnipeg dodge uh, huge uh, supporters of our show and the local mm-hmm. golf community it's the same thing with cars Mm-hmm. Right. Like, you know, it's, it's very tough to find a new car, although at the new Winnipeg Dodge, uh, they do have a, a great selection of new and used vehicles that you can check out. They got a huge lot there, but uh, there's a lot of, you know, dealerships that are feeling the squeeze. Mm-hmm. They certainly are. They yeah. certainly how are. Much, I know, Mike, you've asked this in a previous show, but uh, how much should we water our grass like at home? 
Should we get a water meter? Yeah. Uh, you could probably survive without without one of those. You could you could, you could cut in. You know what? Um, for for a home lawn, your best bet, even in a hot in a hot dry stretch like this summer, is to water once or twice a week. But try to water as deeply as you can, um, and really get the water in there. So, really run those sprinklers Ooh. for you know an hour instead of five minutes. In five minutes or ten minutes is just going to sort of wet that surface, and you're not going to get a whole lot done. Like you really got to get that water down, and taller. Um, lawn height sort of turf it would have a pretty good root system typically so if you water it deep and get it down to those roots it can go a few days without water um, the rule of thumb is the longer the grass is cut the more vo- the larger volume of water it requires but the shorter it's cut the more frequent it needs water so in a golf course setting the putting greens typically need water the most often but they can get away with the least amount of volume whereas to keep rough green on a golf course is often challenging in a drought stretch just because of the sheer volume of water it requires to keep it green ah, good to know interesting so now good we know, know. And i mean that's that's really what what i was going to get to in a in another point was just how the greens usually are always just so green in the rough you're kind of like well if the gruff is if the rough is gone the rough is gone not a big deal um, mm-hmm. and it's better for Mike and I's game because we're in the rough a lot. So it's tougher out right now. Yeah. It's tougher out right now in the rough <laughs> than it was a couple weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> the, the biggest thing is, uh, the drive that always drives turf industry people nuts is, um, if you have an automated irrigation system, just turn it off when it rains. Cause you see you drive by right. places in the morning after rain and like, especially like commercial, uh, business, like whether it's mm-hmm. like auto dealers or commercial office buildings and stuff like that, they just sort of set it and forget it. And they're wasting so much water. It's mm. crazy. Yeah. The geese seem to love it though. They do. <laughs> <laughs> just that, uh, lapping it up. Yeah. Well, two things. Interestingly, uh, Rodney touched on after a, after a big rain, the course is able to be played uh, very quickly afterwards because you guys have such great irrigation uh, or drainage, uh, drainage yeah. great drainage. And uh, I imagine that's something that it also comes uh, of planning and, and developing. I imagine that falls under your umbrella too. Yeah, we're pretty we're pretty you know fortunate that the uh, the course drains reasonably well. Um, you know, this year in, in particular, we really haven't had a wet year in quite a while. So, you know, the water's getting soaked up pretty quickly when it does rain. The ground, like deep down, is pretty dry. Um, drainage is a is a much bigger challenge in Manitoba than it is where I come from in Calgary. I mean, I remember moving here from Calgary and being shocked at how much drainage work golf courses have to do just to keep things playable. I mean, they're they're typically fairly flat and the subsoil is very the clay is typically very heavy unless you're fortunate enough to be in a on a sandier site like uh, Elmhurst, Pine Ridge, some of those places north of north of town. Um, so you tend to see places spend quite a bit of of money on uh, on drainage and, and a lot of clubs have you know we we've done some pretty extensive drainage work over the years other places like mac has done a pile of drainage work um every, everybody does in, in in our in our situation interesting these are things that you guys would be incorporating in your upcoming renovations or is it more so just design related or if you're if you're tearing up a fairway you might as well put drainage and irrigation in too yeah, there's definitely, um, you know, there's a lot of with our upcoming coursework, there's a lot of while we're closing to do it, you might as well 
rip off the band-aid and do as much work as possible so there's there's some architectural restoration but there's also some sort of bury in the ground infrastructure stuff that needs to get done too so like we're nice. doing <clears throat> doing a new irrigation system we're doing a, a reasonable amount of drainage work um both in bunkers as they get rebuilt and on uh, fairways and rough areas and stuff like that so it's kind of getting getting both things taken care of Cool. Cool. And then Jordan, you could, you touched on the geese and I want to say there was uh, there was plenty of wildlife when we were there uh, visiting and uh, yeah, there's a, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's a few bucks and uh, some, some fawns and uh, the geese, obviously maybe a giraffe, but I do. <laughs> does it notice the wildlife fall under your umbrella as well? Um, uh, it tends to fall under my umbrella a little bit. Um, you know, some of it's more well-received than others. Geese certainly aren't the most popular yeah. uh, golf course animal that is out there. Um, people like the deer a lot more than they like geese. Um, so we, we do their, do our best to try to chase them away, but it's uh, it's pretty tough to, they're, they're pretty stubborn. They're pretty tough to dislodge once they decide to make themselves a home. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've got, a, we've got lots of other things. Um, you know, we are a member of the Audubon Society, um, which is sort of an international organization aimed at uh, helping golf courses promote sustainable practices and stuff like that. And, and sort of wildlife habitat and the wildlife habitat that a golf course can provide is one of the things that they highlight in the program. So we definitely do some things to, to help that out. Um, you know, small things like if, if trees fall in our forested bush areas, we don't clean them up. We just sort of leave them there to rot as wildlife habitat. You know, we've got some, some nesting boxes for both ducks, birds, other kind of species of stuff. And, you know, we've got other animals on the golf course that we, we try to sort of promote and, um, maintain a, a good place for them to, to hang out. Right. But uh, you're not stocking the grounds with uh, wildlife. <laughs> no, that we're not doing. They, uh, they tend to find their way. Yeah. They tend to find their way there on their own. It's I mean, definitely uh, the deer in the neighborhood have discovered that it's quite the place to be. So they tend to wander over, um, oh. you know, same with geese. We've got some foxes this year. We've got, we've had coyotes this year. Um, typically we get uh, like owls, hawks, there's an eagle nesting right across the river that's uh, frequently feeding on wow. squirrels and other things going on. So there's, lots of, there's lots of stuff hanging around. Perfect. Cool. That's, a, that's interesting. Out. Yeah. Yeah. We have, we have a group of members that are pretty, pretty passionate about it and they do a lot of bird watching and a lot of, and they actually keep the, keep all of our wildlife records for us. Cause one of the things you have to do for this autobiography program is sort of keep like a wildlife inventory. So our, uh, we have a few members that do that for us and they do a great job. Mm-hmm. Well, kudos to them. And I, I guess one of the, the main animals out there would be humans. And so as uh, <laughs> destructive humans, what uh, as golfers can we do to make your job easier? Uh, sir, you know, the obvious ones are, uh, you know, ball marks, divots, rake your bunkers, stuff like that. Everyone always harps on those ones, but the sort of less obvious ones that I would say make a big difference are, um, golf cart traffic and where people go, you know, stick to the cart paths. If you can, you see a lot of people that, that sort of feel that they need to pull over off the cart paths and like make room for the beverage cart or maintenance right. staff. And it's yeah. like, don't, don't do that. Just let them drive around you. Keep, mm-hmm. keep all four of your wheels on the path. Cause there's a lot more of those carts a day in a day than there is maintenance carts and beverage carts. Right. Um, 
the one thing that's gained a lot of sort of focus in the last couple of years is is uh divot patterns on like rain on driving range tees and practice areas and stuff and right yeah you know people have a lot of signage out trying to encourage people to hit and sort of the, you might've seen it on social media too. And like the linear divot pattern and mm-hmm. don't take the giant crater that never recovers. So that's a, that's a big one. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's something that I've tried to incorporate in my practice uh, this year and mm-hmm. in hitting, you know, in the straight line and, you know, you place your ball behind the divot and I would just randomly hit balls, you know, and I didn't even know I was doing something wrong. You know, but yeah, now well, I know. I, yeah, yeah. And most people, most people don't, right. They're just there to have a good time and enjoy themselves and they just go warm up. And you know, there, you see a lot of clubs now that are, whether it's social media or putting signs up and asking people to do it, but it, it makes a huge difference in how long you can keep, um, practice facilities open. Um, you know, before you have to go to mats or something like that, right. Which everyone, everyone would always rather hit off grass. So, right. Right. And this kind of relates. One of my questions was uh, the sand mixtures that you, you have on the we were we were walking the day we visited. But is a sand mixture better than replacing an actual like I'll call it a beaver tail or a divot that came out of the grass? Uh, you know what? You could probably get a couple different opinions on this. And what what we do and what I typically recommend is if you take like a big beaver tail divot, um, put it back because it might not grow in a really, really hot stretch in the summer, but you'd be surprised how well they can grow back, especially if you're watering pretty, pretty heavily. Mm-hmm. Um, but I always tell people, even if they're, even if they don't regrow hitting off of that kind of rooted in sort of half dead divot is a way better, hit, way better golfing experience than hitting out of like a half filled kind of divot that's filled <laughs> with sand. Right. So it, it you know, our sort of policy is if it's, if it's a, if it's big enough to pick it up on your, wedge your club and put it back then put it back and if it blows up into a million different pieces then fill it with sand interesting okay good to know good to know there's not a lot of places with the the sand mixture on on the carts that i'm playing but so uh, i'll try and find my my beaver tails and replace them yeah uh, Yeah, it helps uh the other only one other thing i wanted to ask about was bunkers because uh the bunkers at saint charles were so well manicured and it was almost like a a painting there was a lot of them (laughs) and uh i'm sure you know i'm sure there's uh somebody responsible for going around all day and raking those and keeping them pristine but for me who's in in the bunker and uh how what's the best way to for us to rake a bunker or what is the goal of me, the golfer, uh, raking the gum, the bunker after I've occupied it? I, I would say, try to, you know, smooth out your prints and just make it good for the, for the player behind you, you know, from a raking technique standpoint, the one thing that you, that you see, uh, put both hands on the rake. Cause you sometimes see people do like the one handed kind of like just ugh, whatever. Yeah. I mean, it's tough to, right that kind of rake you know use both hands and rake it really well um you know more importantly than that um every bunker is different and every style is a little bit different but the one thing that superintendents would love to tell you is try to walk out the back side and not up the high side mm. um so like the green or like the green side or the yeah. fairway side of the bunker, walk out the, the back side where you came in because oftentimes they slope up towards the greens and oftentimes that's where your sort of most delicate lip or turf or however the bunker is built or whatever style it's built in is. And you can do a lot of damage that way. 
Um, and it just makes more work for us. So good. Usually the back ends are, are, are uh, lower and sort of meant as the entry point. Well, I will, yeah. uh, take, take this advice and, uh, practice it, uh, next time I'm playing. <laughs> yeah. well, we'll, we'll all appreciate it. Yeah. Well, good to know. Yeah. Cause I made it. Hey, who would have thought I always just try and mm-hmm. go up the ladder that's there. The ladder. <laughs> <laughs> are you, are you ready, Mike? Do you want to jump into it? Let's jump car. into it, yeah. So we'll get into the uh, back nine. Lightning round is driven by Jamie Wilkie and the new Winnipeg Dodge in the Point West Auto Park. Check them out, winnipegdodge.com. They got inventory, and they're different. They do. They do. Yeah, I uh, I love my Jeep Grand Cherokee. You sure do. Sure it, looks, nice. it looks smooth. It is really smooth. It's very smooth. Um it has a, it's very smooth, Jordan. <laughs> Almost as smooth as the Wagoneer, but uh, Wilkie hasn't uh, loaned me some money yet to uh, to get one. Almost uh, almost as smooth as my broadcasting today. But uh, <laughs> uh, we'll jump into the the back nine lightning round here, Braden. Um, you know this is this is pretty well keyed to the golf player, but we'll certainly uh, uh, and and you All do play golf. Welcome. But, uh, yeah, all, all answers are welcome. So the first one here, have you ever got a hole in one? No. No. Have you ever seen somebody get a hole in one? <laughs> or, yes. Perfect. And are the, uh, are the members, uh, you know, are, are they, uh, always bribing you to set up a hole for a, a hole in one or, or that doesn't happen? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I haven't gotten a solid bribe yet. No. <laughs> well, shout out to uh, the members there, and uh, maybe maybe they'll. There's one coming your way. That sounds like an opportunity. I think yeah. so. Rodney, Rodney, our friend Rodney, he's already got a hole in one, so uh, it won't be coming from him. But uh, next one here, what is your preferred golf ball brand or model? Uh, I usually play Pro V One. Pro V ones. And then do you find a lot of balls on the course? And and if so, is there one brand more than the other? Uh, I don't find as many as I used to probably because I don't look for them as much anymore. Um, but I typically would, I pick up pro V ones if I find them. Mm -hmm. What if they're marked, uh, what if they're marked with like the member's name, (laughs) you ever give them back? (laughs) I'm not sure that I ever have. Maybe if I know the member, right. (laughs) Sell them back. To them. I've had a couple members give me mine back. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that's nice of them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that is nice. Some good karma. I, I don't, think that's what it is. It's good golf yeah. karma. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. They probably is. felt sorry for me. <laughs> yeah. Depending on where they found them. Like, oh boy. Yeah. <laughs> um, so obviously, you know, you've been at St. Charles for quite a while here, but uh, what would be your favorite course in Manitoba? I'll say bias to St. Charles, but apart from St. Charles, Elmhurst. Elmhurst. Mm. Good. What about Elmhurst kind of tickles you pink? I love the layout. Um, the land is great. Um the restoration work that they've done lately that they've been picking away at through the years, I think is great. Um, I really enjoy it. Um, really enjoy it. It's always in great shape. Mm-hmm. I have never been to Elmer's. I hear JR here has, and he was kindly asked to leave. I was, yes. Uh, I was uh, asked <laughs> to leave the premises. So that was good. 
after was he got around it. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I, <laughs> yeah. I, I played a lot of golf. You didn't just show up and try and tee off. <laughs> uh, is there a, is there a bucket list course in Manitoba that you've uh, never played before that you'd like to get out to? Played a lot of them. So this is, that's a tough one. Gilbert Plains. I've heard Gilbert Plains is good and I've never been there. Mm. Yeah. Especially this year. I've heard some great things this year. I don't know why. Yeah. Maybe it's just oh. as in good shape or not a lot of people have played it until recently because of COVID and now everyone's getting out there and playing it. I think it's because we started a podcast and started asking True. people Very, yes. <laughs> where to go. <laughs> yeah. You're welcome, yeah no, Nicola, you're welcome, Sandy Cruciba. <laughs> it's on my, it's certainly on my list. I, I think I'm going to try and fit it in uh, at the end of September. Got some, got some time. So, um, um, I imagine with your profession, I'm sure you've traveled a little bit and you're, you know, looking at researching other courses and stuff, but, uh, what would be the most memorable course that you've ever played? Uh, the old course at St. Andrews. Oh, oh damn it. You had to bring that up. That Mike brings it up bring every it up. episode. <laughs> uh, I did. I did get the opportunity to play it in, in 2019, but did you, uh, did you play any other courses uh at the st andrews links there they got i think they got like seven different courses castle course jubilee uh a few other ones but or is it specifically just st andrews i played uh i worked there for the summer so i played every course wow. except the castle course which wasn't built yet amazing wow well we'll That's, have to get you back on because mike wants to do a specific pod around his time at uh, the old course at st andrews so we can bring you mm-hmm. back on you can talk about how like maintaining it that must have been a treat yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, it was a blast. It was my first year, uh, internship when I was in school. Jeez. Nice. Wow. Yeah. That would be uh, pretty cool. Even the town of St. Andrews is absolutely amazing. And you, you know, you walk down even to, uh, you know, you see the road hole there and you get butterflies seeing mm-hmm. it and, uh, that's pretty cool. So you got to play it a bunch while, while working there, I imagine. Yeah. Yeah. We got to play it a few times. Like, played it. Um, the old course three times and played the new course a lot too. Right. What year was that in? Uh, what uh, year did you work there? 2004. Cool. Yeah. I guess. And then they held, didn't they hold an open there after that? In 2005? Yeah, the, the year they had the uh, British amateur the year I was there in 04 and they had the, the open the year after. Wow. Wow. That's pretty that's cool. Pretty phenomenal. Yeah. Um, well, I'll move on from that. I yeah, got six other yeah, no, questions you, you there. Just, you're but blushing, Mike. You're so excited. I, I, I am. <laughs> I am. I am. So, uh, well, that's pretty amazing. What would be your bucket list course anywhere in the world? Either Cypress Point, which I've walked but not played, or Royal Melbourne. Nice. Cypress, Cypress Point. Yeah, Cypress is one of those toughest. How did you even get get on there to walk it? Uh, I was fortunate to, you know, the golf superintendent community is a great community. So I emailed right. the superintendent, asked him if I could walk it and he, he let me. Yeah. <laughs> Simple as that. Wow. Yeah. Has that, has that helped you get on other, um, courses as well? To um, play them? Yeah. Most, most places will, uh, will accommodate superintendents if you're, if you make arrangements, um, you know, either that or you end up playing them. Like we, we do have some sort of superintendent tournaments too, um, you know, that our national association or that the, uh, 
the American Superintendents Association holds. So sometimes you get to go play some nice courses. Um, nice. When you do that too. Do you so you compete in those? I compete poorly, but I compete. <laughs> well, I, my there. question was going to be, uh, what would what's your uh, your handicap index? Uh, Fifteen right now. Perfect. Hey, you're one of us. You'd uh, you'd yeah, fit yeah, in yeah. well here. Yeah, yeah. yeah you, you've got a great home here at 18 over par. We appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> so, what would be your uh, career low round? Uh, Eighty. Eighty. Where was where was that? St. Charles. Nice. Do you get to play St. Charles often? I, I know you mentioned you maybe don't get to golf as much as you'd like to. Um. I, I, I play it a little bit. Um, you know, I just don't play as much anymore now that I, I've got kids now. So I don't have, don't yeah, have they screw up your as life. much time as I used to. I'm well they do. <laughs> <laughs> That's a whole different. My rounds of golf too. drop drastically. Yes. <laughs> it's uh, question eight here, kind of the wild card. And we touched it on, touched on it earlier um, and, and but we can rehash it but uh, not specific to St. Charles but what would be the biggest frustration that the courts maintenance crew has with golfers and uh, you can re-educate us and, and we can really hammer it down to our yeah. to our listeners and on what we should be doing better to uh, make your life easier uh, either um you know, not performing any of the sort of course etiquette maintenance tasks that we talked about before, or not yelling for when you hit it into a maintenance staff member oh, that would get there. Oh, that right. would get the most grumpy. Yikes. <laughs> I, there was an article uh, that came out recently about that and there were some frustrations. Um, but fortunately, uh, it fortunately doesn't happen very often. You know, the vast majority of golfers everywhere are, are, are very respectful, but every once in a while, you, you know, whether, I don't know if I've ever seen it really too much, but you do hear, you know, superintendents, mm -hmm. we all, it's a small community. We all know each other. So we all talk and you do hear those stories circulate once in a while. Yeah. And, and I guess, you know, uh, me being a higher handicapper, not having that much control over where my ball goes and, and obviously, uh, the maintenance crew has to do their job and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, sometimes I worry, you know, they're on the green, they're watering it or cutting or mowing, you know, is there, should we just hit as a golfer or, you know, wait till they see us. Usually they stop. Sometimes they don't, I guess we, you know, you assume they can see us. I, I is, is, uh, it's, I, it's an always an unknown, right. For me, most of the time, most of the time they can. And most of the time we just, we just ask that people, wait till, you know, we'll, we'll get out of the way. Just sometimes it takes, uh, you know, 10 seconds to gather your stuff and get out of the way. Um, okay. we, we will, we'll have members that'll sometimes yell for before they hit, if the staff members got their back turned or something uh, and then the staff member can hear them and they turn around and then they see them and then they move. So, okay. Uh, that can, that can help too. Yeah. That's good to know. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes they, they just stare me in the eyes and say, shoot, because I know you're not going to, uh, you're not going to come yeah, close to me. Close. Stand next to the pin. If you're on the green or just stand on the green, we're not getting close. You're yeah. Safe. Yeah. yeah. Have you had anyone, uh, like really be angry with you, you know, sent, do you get many angry emails or, or, you know, for the most part, everyone understands that, you know, the crew's trying to do their, their best out there. 
Yeah, I think uh, I think most people do. And, you, you know, the thing about golf is it's uh, it, it inspires a lot of passion, um, both positively and negatively in people. Um, and it's very subjective, too. So you definitely, um, you know, you can you can get your share of opinions and stuff. But but most people are uh, are very happy with with the work that goes on and uh, appreciative. And, uh, you know, I've got nothing but good things to say. That's good. Happy to hear that uh, that uh, humanity is is still uh, sane. I don't know. <laughs> we can we can cut that. We won't cut that. I am not sane. But uh, our flagship question of the back nine lightning round: What is your favorite condiment? Mayonnaise. Mayonnaise. Another mayo. Is that maybe the third one for mayo. I. It could be. Could be. I'm not sure. We should yeah. actually. I've tried to go back and count yeah, and tally this. But, I thought Belly. Uh, Belly. Uh, I thought his. He was Mayo, and I thought there was someone else. He was, that was Mayo. Anyways, you can go listen to the plethora of episodes that uh, that yeah. we do have, and we, and we can figure out what, uh, what's what. My my follow up to that is always. Uh, do you ever get into the Miracle Whip, or it's just uh, a straight mayonnaise? I, I try to stay straight mayonnaise. Yeah. Mm. Mayonnaise is pretty good. Fries, you eat it. You get your French fries with mayonnaise. That's kind of like when you know you have a problem, you're eating (laughs) French fries with mayonnaise. Yeah, I can't remember. I traveled somewhere once, and they gave like I ordered fries, and they didn't come with ketchup, and they came with mayonnaise. And at first, I was like, "What's the deal with this?" And then it was like one of the most delicious things ever. (laughs) Yes, yes. So you're tipping towards having a problem, but uh, that's all right. Mayo, we'll throw it on the board. Uh, we we love it, and uh, we also love the the fine folks at the new Winnipeg Dodge in the Point West Auto Park. You can check out Jamie Wilkie and their whole staff there. Check them out, winnipegdodge.com. That was the back nine lightning round, and that was the pod. So, Braden, thank you so much for uh, taking the time out of uh, your evening to join us. We're going to hook you up with a DQ cake from the Nick and Nicky group of DQs. You can check them out at DQ Northgate, mm-hmm. DQ Polo Park, and the Food Court. DQ Niverville and DQ St. Anne's Road. You can follow them on Instagram at DQ Manitoba. And I know, Mike, we also like to ask, too, if if you have a favorite blizzard. Mm -hmm. Do you have a favorite blizzard, Braden? I just had a score blizzard tonight, actually. And that's my favorite blizzard. Yeah, uh, they have a pumpkin pie one. So I had that tonight. I also had a cotton candy one. And they have a pecan pie blizzard as well. So I had three blizzards tonight. I read that. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. So pumpkin pie. That, I'll have to try the pumpkin pie. Yeah, one. The score is a classic though. Like that is also another, another Certainly good one. Is. Like if you're thinking of like cookie dough score, it's delicious. I may have to go have a fourth mm-hmm. now. I don't know, but uh, we, we really appreciate and, you taking the time again. And uh, yeah, we'll, uh, don't we'll forget to, uh, don't forget to thank your superintendent. It's exactly. thank your superintendent day on uh, September 14th. I read, did you know that Braden? I, uh, I did know that. Yes. Yeah. Do they throw you a party? Yeah. Uh, Not quite. Maybe maybe (laughs) I'll ask. (laughs) Well, maybe you'll have a a cake for it at least. Yeah, you'll get a cake or something. (laughs) Thank you, superintendent. The golf pros will probably be nice to me in the morning. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, nice. Yeah, well, thanks again. Uh, You have yourself a wonderful night, and uh, we'll chat with you next time. (laughs) Bye-bye. Thanks. And you can count. On me, waiting for you in the parking lot.
You're late for your tea time, as per usual. It's 12.12, but you wouldn't know. The clock in your piece of shit ride just blinks eights at you. It's embarrassing. You find the parking stall the farthest away from the clubhouse. It can't be seen in your shitbox. You know you're going to play awful because you feel awful. Your car doesn't match that swagger buried deep down inside. That golfing champion waiting to be unleashed. Ding. Your bumper hits the concrete as you accidentally sit on it while putting on your golf shoes. You smile because tomorrow you're going to see Jamie Wilkie at the new Winnipeg Dodge in the Point West Auto Park. The front doors will open like the Azalea Line gates at Augusta. You'll ask for the best looking guy there. You'll find the former amateur champ, Jamie Wilkie, staring back at you. You hand over your money. Your new ride glistens as it pulls out of the dealership. Then Jamie approaches and whispers in your ear, Son, next week, I'm taking you golfing at Breezy Bend. I'll show you a thing or two. You smile again, as now your golf game will look and feel as good as your new ride. Improve your ride and your drive with Jamie Wilkie at the new Winnipeg Dodge in the Point West Auto Park. WinnipegDodge.com JR. We have a lot of fun on this podcast, but I want to take a second to talk about something that has affected me personally. Every year, millions of Canadians suffer from brain freeze. It can happen to anyone. It's a hot summer day. You're aggressively enjoying a DQ cool treat, a blizzard, a dilly bar, or a variety of personalized ice cream cakes, and whammo, brain freeze. It hits you like a triple bogey. The good news is you can enjoy these delicious treats in a moderately sized bite. So get over to any Nick and Nicky's group of DQs and enjoy some DQ treats safely. DQ Northgate on McPhillips, DQ Pole Park in in the food court, DQ Niverville, and DQ St. Anne's Road. Go see them today for tasty treats.